Welcome to the Voice of the Force podcast, Temple Archives 8B, Battlefront's Twilight Company. What does the B stand for? Great question. I'll explain in a moment. For now, my name is Noma, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Dan. Hey! And Ed. hey So, if this is your first time listening and you're wondering what the podcast is about, uh, we discuss everything to do with Star Wars canon. So that includes uh, summarizing the stories, uh, how it relates to legends and canon material. We like to have a little discussion about the material we're talking about, and we'll also tell you where it fits into the timeline. So, like I was saying earlier, this is episode 8B. The B stands for books. Uh, we're going to be splitting our reviews of novels and comics into two different sections from now on. So the B section will be our books, and the C sections will be covering our comic reviews. So these episodes are going to be released separately, and we'll be putting them out bi-weekly, so that's once every other week and uh basically that way we can just get you some uh content on a more regular basis that's a little bit easier to digest and we're hoping that you know that appeals to you guys uh so before we get into our full synopsis i'm gonna hand off the mic to ed for a second now guys we know you always want to talk to us and there's several ways you can uh you want to go by email that's going to be voice of the force at gmail.com once again voice of the force at gmail.com you can reach us at Twitter as well. We've got our at Voice Force Pod handle. It's going to be at Voice Force Pod. There we usually retweet our new episode tweets. I mean, if you help retweet stuff too, it will grow the listener base. People will get interested. You'll have people to talk to. We'll have a little fan club going on that we really want to interact with. So we hope to see you there. You can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Voice Force Pod. And you know, guys, it's 2019. We're all so mobile. But no matter what device you're on, there will be a way to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to us. If you're on Apple Podcasts, we're there. Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, and Pocket Cast. And last but not least, Podbean. Anytime you feel like leaving a review, please do so. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And it just helps with the general visibility. And you know how much that means to us. If you want to subscribe, you can do so for free, and you'll get all the information on latest new episode releases, any sort of content you want to post, extra stuff you want to give to you. You never know. There might be a bonus episode coming in the lurks, but we'll see. And don't forget, listen to the outro to find out what we're going to be covering on the next episode. Thanks, Ed. And uh, one last thing before we get started. It's our classic little public Star Wars announcement. Uh, so the first thing is, if you haven't read Battlefront Twilight Company, we are going to be spoiling basically everything. So if you do want to listen to that book or read that book, definitely recommend doing that before you listen to this episode. And uh, we here at Voice of the Force absolutely support uh, supporting the official release. It's important because if we, I mean, you know, as much as I don't want to be like, go and spend money, if we are buying all the Star Wars media that we're interested in and we like, that is showing Disney that we want more of it. So it's a, you know, it's a basically the easiest way to show your support for the material. And you can find it in so many places, physical, digital, ebook, or audiobook. But, uh, you know, I don't need to spiel to you guys on, on buying Star Wars stuff. So with that out of the way, let's get started. This is Battlefront Twilight Company. The author is Alexander Freed, and the cover artist is Aaron McBride. The cover is does something that I really like, 
uh, in a lot of books, which is it shows the entire cast of the people that you're, we're going to be following. So we've got a band of rebels in what looks like a very hopeless fight against two AT-ATs. And from here, we can see a couple of the characters, like uh, Captain Howe in the front. And then we've got uh, one of the other soldiers of Twilight Company, Brand, in the back. And I think Gadrin. Yeah, Gadrin, yeah. the, the Besilisk of the group. And stuff like this is, is I think, pretty important because when I was listening to the audiobook, I didn't really look at the covers. So it took me a little while to realize that Gadrin was a Besilisk. Oh, really? Um, but the coverage, yeah, the coverage just shows you straight away, though. It wasn't until they, they mentioned his arms. Oh, it was, yeah, his and, four arms. Uh, yeah, and then the the kind of voice that they put on from as well made it a bit easier to tell. But yeah, I gotta say the the voices from Jonathan Davis, he doesn't have a huge range in like, like if it's a guy voice. Like a lot of mm. the guys sound similar, um, and the girls kind of sound similar. But like when they do a little bit of like voice audio modulation, yeah, for for mm. Gadrin and stuff like that, it makes it really fun to listen to. Um, oh yeah, and I gotta say, Gadrin, amazing, amazing character. <laughs> this is what I wanted to get into, just with the the narration as well. Like when I first started listening to audiobooks and stuff like that, especially the Star Wars ones, there's always Jonathan Davis. So I got so used to hearing his voice, and it was like it's like iconic for me whenever I hear him now. But super with, classic. Yeah, but then with this book, Chernobyl beforehand, we were listening to so much with Mark Davis that I had kind of forgotten a little bit of what Jonathan sounded like. Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson, yes. You said, uh, you said Mark Davis. Mark Davis, yeah. <laughs> Mark Combine Thompson. them together. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hearing hearing him now, I, it was hard for me to associate the characters because I didn't look too much at the front of the, the front cover either. So all mm. I was hearing, I, all I was seeing really as I heard it was like old characters. Like I was seeing Bane at one point in the line. Oh, really? Wrong, wrong book, wrong book. <laughs> and like just because like you're saying, like the range isn't really there. Or not, not that it's not there, but like it's not a deep not range as, of characters. It's not as prevalent as Mark Thompson's like range. Yeah, so I really I like it. It was still easy to listen to. Mm. I just I think I've listened to them too much, kind of, or him too yeah. much. To, yeah. To, to start seeing any differences or really just focus on this one alone. So I have either to listen to him a little less or stop re-listening to all those other ones because they're amazing books and we should all read them. <laughs> nice. Um, one last thing before we get in. I just want to say uh, this is the second or third time I've listened to this one. And as soon as I started listening to it again and like meeting the characters, it took me a minute to remember the characters. But as soon as I did, I had the same picture of what the characters I thought, like what I thought they looked like before when I listened to it for the first time when it first came out as mm -hmm. I did now, which was awesome. So it, it, my brain was just like, yep, back to that book. And I'm like, okay, I got this. We can do it. So it was pretty cool to uh, just kind of revisit this book again. No nice. Let's get started. All right. So first off, we've got the short story that takes place before Twilight Company. And that is In Brief. The author is Janine K. Spendlove, and the illustrator is Jose Cabrera. I probably butchered the last name. I apologize. Cabrera, yeah. It's about Cabrera. Cabrera. Yeah. Uh, the cover art is uh, its actually pretty cool because it's a character that we technically see in Twilight Company, but not very well. So the cover is a Brand from probably her earlier days as a bounty hunter, just staring down the viewer with her blaster pistol. It's uh, it's interesting. It's it's 
don't know, I always find it cool to see bounty hunters who are in gear that I don't normally, what's the word I'm looking for, that I don't normally associate with bounty hunters, because yeah. you, you no, usually go to... wearing re- regular clothes. She reminds me of, yeah, like, a Naboo, yeah. like, um, like yeah, guard or something. Officer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a nice look at a character that you kind of can barely make out in the Twilight Company cover. And it's really it's really nice to see like the background and everything. Like whoever is it, Jose Jose Cabrera, he did a very good job at, at drawing that. Like it looks very nice. It's an action pose. Like the guns kind of flying out a little bit on her like her strap that she has it on, and like her clothes are mm-hmm. in in motion, but yeah. she's still. So it's almost like she just kind of quickly got to that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I added a second picture here just below if you guys want to talk about that one too that's uh, it's one of the scenes in the actual story where they're being pinned down by an ATST it's just really cool perspective oh okay yeah yeah that's a nice uh, it always weirds me out seeing blue lasers in the rebellion era because uh, right? I thought that was that's only a Clone Wars, Wars thing, thing. Yeah. yeah not just Clone Wars but now uh, episode 7 with uh, yeah, pre- the sequel yeah. trilogy mm. yeah that's true mm. Also interesting to see an ADAT with missiles just strapped to its side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or sorry, not an ADAT. Sorry, ATST. But yeah, that's yeah, the it's a very good action shot. That's pretty cool. Like it, the mm-hmm. ATST is taking down one of the trees, and they're pinned behind one of the other trees. So it's cool. Yeah. It's interesting. All right. So this is a much shorter story than most of the other ones that we've read. Uh, so it also has a very short synopsis. Like here, if if yeah. you can if you can focus on the synopsis, I'll be very impressed. It's super <laughs> duper short. Yeah, it is like a half a paragraph. So, let's get down to it. As Twilight Company captures Governor Maje, Brand attempts to capture her bounty on Captain Micah Yvonne. The captain discusses her past, causing her to reflect on her time with Twilight Company, and she agrees to stay with the unit. All right, and that was the synopsis for In Brief. That was fantastic, man. I don't even know what just happened. It was like a split second. I blinked <laughs> and I and I missed what you said. <laughs> yeah, I was I was surprised. It, it's the story itself is about the same length as uh, one of the ones you'd find on like the old Star Wars magazines. Yeah, very, was, very much right, so. It was really nice Wars and short. This time. Oh, okay. Yeah. What yeah. was that, Ed? It was actually right out of one of the uh, magazines. Yeah, one. most of these uh, short stories are actually out of the Star Wars Insider books. That makes this a lot more one sense. Was one sixty six, I believe. One sixty one. Yeah, this is right. one of the like the ones that we've been going through. Star most Wars of them are Insider. pretty early on. Um, I've actually been trying to collect as many of them as I can. <laughs> I had a subscription for a while, but they stopped putting them in the in the magazines. So I'm like, I have no reason to get these. Yeah, <laughs> that's weird. So yeah, but uh, yeah, you guys have any thoughts on uh, in brief? Uh, so go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Just very quickly, something that I did appreciate seeing was uh, a we finally have something like a sniper class, I guess you could say. And <laughs> I just remember playing the old public being like, man, for like an agent or anything like that, like I've never really seen snipers too much. And so it's always been like, here I have a I have a blaster pistol or the rifle, something like that. Now we have mm-hmm. somebody who's just like, I'm a bounty hunter, which you again, like you were saying before just in with stuff that you wouldn't expect it's like mm-hmm. yeah i'm gonna get my mark from however far away rather than being like they're always kicking down the door of being like in all their armor i'm taking you away now kind of mm-hmm. thing now. it's like oh yeah no we have we finally have somebody who's covert and does all these things who's not an agent but very well should be stealthy yeah so, yeah it was interesting to see how that is brought towards twilight company because i could easily see her being something like a cassian kind of type 
of yeah. character. Oh, definitely. Like, mm-hmm. You know, like where we just like, you know what, we have you for this company, but let's do something different with you. For for me, it was nice to kind of get a little bit of a backstory for Brand. Um, <laughs> the thing I really liked was it, it like it dispersed the conversation with Micah, Yvonne, and Brand. He was like, oh, do you remember this happened in your past? And she's like, what? And then it goes like a flashback for, you know, like a few paragraphs. And then it goes back to the conversation, then kind of flips back back and forth. And then she finally mm-hmm. decides to join them. It was just nice to kind of get that little backstory. And like they open up a new syndicate, like there's a syndicate in the backstory that she basically, just, like she just kills the person who's ahead of the syndicate. I can't even remember what it's called. It's it's not important, but they ravaged her family. And so she wanted revenge on them as a bunny hunter. So she went out and uh, killed the the leader, I guess, of it. And now she's part of Twilight Company. It was just cool to kind of see what makes her tick and why she's doing what she does. Now, how many times did you call the planet Tangerine instead of whatever it was? Tangerine? Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because I kept doing that, and I was getting angry with myself. being like, Tangerine, not Tangerine. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, um, we don't we don't know for certain if there are tangerines in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they're just planets now. <laughs> they're all around. The they don't exist yeah. anymore. Yeah. The the one thing I did also like was the second thing I guess is a little bit more um, information on Captain Micah Ebon because you kind of see him like this bounty hunter comes out of nowhere once they complete a mission and has a gun to his head and he's just like chilling having some Nubuian whiskey and he's just like hey. How's it going? I'm going to have one. Do you want one? And he's just like super charming and very much just trying to like play down the situation. And he knew she was coming, even though he didn't expect her right then and there. So it was interesting to see that play out a little bit. And you can kind of get a little bit more character development in, you know, this very small short story for Yvonne. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It's Palpatine-esque. That's all it is. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely makes it a little bit more apparent why everyone looked up to him in Twilight Company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, the novel itself, it's it's you know he seems very amicable, but it's a little bit vague. You don't really get and much almost, of him. Yeah, he almost seems like a bit of a weak character, depending on how you view his actions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The one of the one other thing I thought was nice, uh, going back to what Ed said, was yeah, it, it's cool to see Brand just be a more a much more nuanced character. She reminded me of I can't I can't even remember the character's name, but the Zabrak bounty hunter in Aftermath. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I don't remember her name though. Oh my god, it's not coming to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, we had Sinjir, that... we had yeah. Temin, we had yeah, Nora, Temin, Nora, and other. Oh, what's um, her name? That just goes to tell you how important she is in the novel. Oh, boy. Oh I got to figure this out now. This is a Brack oh, no. bounty hunter. Yeah, but she basically re- reminded me of that character from Aftermath, except more interesting. No offense to that character, but, you know, she. it's harder to tell what Bran's going to do um, in in brief and in Twilight Company. It's it's She's Jazzy so Jazzy Mari, there it is. I would never have remembered that. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> um, I definitely got what you mean, though, yeah. Yeah, she definitely yeah. has that vibe. It's 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 a lot more interesting to me when I can't really tell what a character is going to do, and then when they do things, it's still in character for them, right? Like, um, you do know how this story ends if you've seen Twilight Company. You know, Brand's obviously not going to go in on the bounty, but the whole back and forth and everything—I don't know—it just makes it a lot more uh, engaging. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely like a tense situation for them, even though Howell Captain Mike Yvonne is trying to like play it down, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on uh, in brief? Nope, I think that's it. 
All right. Moving on. We will keep that one brief. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll see myself. Out. I should. <laughs> we, you know, we should have done for the intro for this. This part is like, can you brief us on the short story? Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Oh, can you give us a brief? No. Oh, I'll boy. give you a brief synopsis. Oh boy. <laughs> and with that pun, uh, buried and forgotten. Hopefully, let's <laughs> move on to Battlefront Twilight Company. Opening crawl. The Galactic Empire endures. Despite the destruction of its terrifying Death Star by the Rebel Alliance, its oppression spreads undiminished across the stars. Under the direction of the Emperor and Darth Vader, an army of highly trained, single-minded stormtroopers squash dissent and destroy resistance. But on worlds like Sullust, Coyerty, Hadoro Prime, and Untold Others, Rebel forces fight in the trenches determined to maintain hope against the unrelenting Imperial War Machine. The story begins 13 years after the end of the Clone Wars. On Planet Crucible, we meet a young man named Donnan as he steals himself for his first battle as a soldier in one of the planet's warlord armies. The book then shifts to nine years later on the planet Hadoral Prime, here we are introduced to the Rebels' 61st Mobile Infantry Division, a vanguard force whose callsign is Twilight Company. Sergeant Namir leads his squad in sorties against the dwindling Imperial presence on Hadoro as the Alliance prepares to pull its forces off-planet. During a Rebel open recruitment event, Namir and his squad are ordered to infiltrate the Governor's stronghold on the planet, acting on info that Imperials are holding hostages in the building. Upon storming the building, Namir learns that the governor herself is the hostage, and she requests Twilight Company grant her asylum from the Empire. The Alliance soon pulls its forces off-planet, and Twilight Company returns to its ship, the Corvette Thunderstrike. After interrogating the Imperial governor, Ivali Chalis, a deal is struck with her and Twilight Company's commander, Micah Howell Yvonne. The company will protect the governor in exchange for the former, giving all her knowledge of Imperial logistics and resources. Chalice claims her knowledge of the Empire's workings are unparalleled, as she was personally trained by the legendary Count Vidian. Later, Namir begins training the new recruits from Hedoro, who he refers to as the Fresh Meat. He notices something in a young woman named Roach, and makes a note of her. Shortly after, the Thunderstrike is ambushed and damaged by an Imperial force, and Namir is forced to make his way through a blazing inferno to protect Governor Chalice. While waiting out the fire, Chalice explains how the Empire humiliated her by sending her to a backwater like Hadoral, and how she needs Twilight Company in order to escape the wrath of the Emperor's Fist, Darth Vader. Once the Thunderstrike has escaped damage, Captain Howell decides to use Chalice's knowledge of the Empire to strike back at them. Jumping from the Rebels, the book shifts to the planet Karida and introduces officer-turned-instructor Captain Tabor Sateron who is transferred from his happy life of teaching to join the hunt for Chalice, owing to the fact that he once knew the former governor. Captain Howell and the Alliance deploy Twilight Company to the planet Coyerty to aid the planet's natives while they are vulnerable. Governor Chalice's information of the Empire's resources on Coyerty allow Namir's squad to decimate the Empire's stockpiles. Though the mission is harrowing and goes awry, the squad is able to return without any casualties. Once off Coyerty, the Thunderstrike runs afoul of Imperial patrols, apparently because of the Governor's defection. However, Twilight Company strikes back with a vengeance, using Chalice's knowledge of the Empire's resource network to assault Imperial convoys and harass them at every opportunity. 
Namir and Chalice speak on a few occasions. We learn that Namir was the young soldier on Crucible at the novel's start, and Chalice was born on a similar backwater world. The two speak freely, and Namir is concerned that he is, begins to form a bond with the girl, as he is wary of her prowess as a verbal manipulator. However, Howell reveals he plans to escort Chalice to Alliance High Command, relieving Namir. Meanwhile, the Empire begins its hunt for Chalice. Captain Tabor meets with a young fanatical man named Prelate Verge, a student of the Empire, who has been groomed for a position in the Emperor's court. Verge's Star Destroyer prepares to depart as Tabor fumes at his simple teaching life being upended for the hunt. Chalus, Captain Howell, and Namir travel to Hoth to deliver Chalus to Alliance High Command, who shares her information with them. However, before this can be utilized, the Empire begins its attack on Echo Base. Imperial walkers on the ground. Our pilots will run interference while we evacuate Hoth. Namir fights in a desperate ground battle, and when he is forced to retreat, he runs into Chalice, carrying an incapacitated Captain Howell. As they attempt to escape, they run straight into Darth Vader and his bodyguard. Vader devastates the group, burying Namir under rubble and grabbing Chalice, who is terrified the Sith Lord has decimated Echo Base to find and execute her. However, Vader does not recognize her, instead demanding she give up Luke Skywalker's location. His men inform him that they have found the Millennium Falcon, and Vader departs, hurling Chalice into a wall as he does. When Namir is able to recover, he discovers that Chalice is alive, though both are badly injured. Unfortunately, Captain Howell is dead, and Namir and Chalice barely escape with the former governor's Imperial Codes. Twilight Company is faring just as poorly. In the group's absence, the Thunderstrike is ambushed by Tabor and Verge's Star Destroyer, Brand, an ex-bounty hunter and longtime member of Namir's squad is able to warn the Thunderstrike, but it is still targeted and sabotaged, barely making an escape after suffering intensive damage. The Thunderstrike manages to set down for repairs, and eventually, Namir and Chalice rendezvous with them. However, the company is on the verge of collapse, with the captain's death leaving a void chain of command, the Thunderstrike in tatters, and Chalice's pride broken by the fact that she was beneath Vader's notice. After speaking with Namir, Chalice is able to find her resolve and presents her plan to retaliate against the Empire. With the Empire's resources spread thin to capture rebel leadership, multiple Imperial planets are weak enough to be hit in rapid succession and their production crippled. If this is done, then resources must be transferred from the nearby Imperial shipyards of Kuat. And once those forces are moved from Kuat, the shipyards can be assaulted and destroyed. Namir steps up to take command of Twilight Company's ground forces, with Chalice commanding the overall tactics. Though Namir still mistrusts Chalice, the two still work well together, with Chalice's charisma slowly winning over Twilight Company, while Namir's veteran experience allows Twilight Company to achieve its objectives as they cripple Imperial production on planet after planet, whittling down Twilight Company in the process. However, their moves are being scrutinized by Captain Tabor and Prelate Verge. As they plan, Tabor becomes increasingly distressed by Verge's fanaticism and willingness to murder and torture crew members to promote loyalty, imitating Palpatine and Vader. Eventually, the pair prepare for one of three planets to be Chalice's next target. Twilight Company arrives on Sullust and claims the Inusu Tor processing facility. The massive facility provides 10% of the planet's mineral exports. However, as the company prepares to move out, Tabor and Verge spring their ambush. As the Thunderstrike attempts to extract Twilight Company, it is blown out of the sky and impacts near the Inusu Tor facility. 
Namir barely manages to rescue a few of Thunderstrike's survivors before Twilight Company is forced to fortify the facility in preparation for a siege. We're on our way to pick you up, but in the meantime, you'll have to hold out against Imperial forces advancing on your position. Good luck. Namir argues with Chalice about their next move. Eventually, Chalice decides the best course of action is to contact Solus's rebel cells and find a way to get off-planet. She, Namir, Roach, and a small squad attempt to infiltrate the city of Penyumba, but are ambushed and split up. Namir is incapacitated by a blast and is captured by an Imperial patrol. However, the patrol is then ambushed by Celestian rebels, and Namir is able to meet one of their leaders, Nian Numba. Namir helps Nian deliver supplies to the terrified citizens of Pinyumba, who are under harsh martial law as a result of Twilight Company's attack. Namir helps the rebel cell where he can, then returns to the Inusu facility on a plan. Namir tries to convince Chalice that the company needs to aid those suffering under Imperial rule over striking blows against the Empire. To this end, he wants to abandon their attack on Kuat and instead aid the people of Sullust. Chalice dismisses his idealism and attempts to imprison Namir for treason, but Namir's squad arrives and instead imprisons Chalice. Namir tells Twilight their new objective, and the company dig into their makeshift fortress, believing every Imperial they kill will weaken the Empire's hold on Sullust, while also hoping the Empire's desire to retake the valuable mining facility will protect them from orbital bombardment. As the battle begins, Chalice is able to escape Twilight Company and steals a ship to make her way to the Boor and Verge's Star Destroyer, which has moved into low orbit to provide close fire support. In the destroyer's hangar, she attempts to defect back to the Empire. Enraged by her betrayal, Verge attempts to kill Chalice with his bare hands. However, Chalice springs her trap, revealing her ship is filled with ion mines, which disrupt the Star Destroyer's power systems. With the ship being in atmosphere, the loss of power causes it to begin falling out of the sky. Verge orders the ship to ram the rebel position, but Tabor argues that they can make it into space and survive. Their argument is interrupted by Chalice attacking Verge, and Tabor draws his weapon. However, he shoots Verge and orders the destroyer be brought back into orbit. With no witnesses to his crime, Chalice tells Tabor he can blame Prelate Verge's death on her if Tabor lets her escape. As the Star Destroyer retreats, the battle on the surface winds down. Despite massive casualties and near-impossible odds, Twilight Company emerges intact. However, the battle leaves Namir drained, and he loses his squadmate Roach in the final moments of the battle. The Company salvage what they can from the Inusu facility and the Thunderstrike, and make their way to the city of Pinyamba. The city falls to civilian control, with Twilight Company providing security. Some of the captured Imperials are allowed to help rebuild the city under supervision. As the city stabilizes, the now Captain Namir finds a message from Governor Chalice, who tells Namir she will never see him again, and states that if he trusted her, they could have dealt a lasting victory against the Empire. Chalice herself has escaped with Tabor's help, and contemplates what to do with her life now, considering all the possibilities and paths she could walk. She finally decides to head for Crucible, Namir's homeworld. Namir keeps Chalice's last message private, embarrassed that he misses the governor. As he watches a funeral for all the fallen, including the Thunderstrike, Namir muses that though he does not believe in traditions, he should keep some alive. The next day, he decides to hold an open recruit like Twilight did on Hedoro. Though few people show it first, eventually, 
a large crowd gathers to offer their service to their saviors. All right, so that was Battlefront Twilight Company. So what did you guys think of this book? Um, Dan, let's start with you. Yeah, uh, I I like Battlefront Twilight Company. Um, it was a different book, a little bit more grittier than some of the other books we, I think, read. Kind of like the... It's hard to compare it, like... Because I read this before Rogue One came out, but like I, I feel like it's a very similar vibe to Rogue One, where you're following a little group of, you know rebels not like jedi or anything like that just like normal people who are Mm. trying to fight against the empire for their own you know means and like get revenge or whatever right and Mm. you get to know the company a little bit more i did find it a little harder to get through the audiobook this time around i got about two hours in and i paused it and then i paused it for i think the the rest of the audiobook which is about seven and a half hours i didn't listen to until like a few days ago so i think i put like a three week pause on it and i you know turn around every now and again but i didn't like listen through it intently as i did the first time around i remember i really loved this book the first time around because it was something that i never expected star wars to have but now Mm. that i've you know seen so many more star wars movies read so many more star wars books i think it doesn't hold up as much as the new stuff does you bring up a good point with the comparison with Rogue One because they yeah. are both very gritty. Uh, I think the only difference being that Rogue One is very gritty because of how gray it is. Because there's a there, especially with uh, Cassian, you get a lot more of tonally ambiguous. Right, exactly. Feel, especially with the things that he does. Whereas with Twilight Company, one of the things that I liked is it's a it's grittier because it's very bleak. It really shows you what a rebel company at the forefront of fighting would be like. Right, and it's not just like, any company. It's like the the spearhead of yeah. the rebels, right? It it is the meat, yeah. It's the meat grinder of the Rebel Alliance. Exactly, and it's yes. that you see the, the the downtrodden fighting they have to go through on all these different planets, and Celest being yeah. like this huge endeavor that they have, but they've gone through so much and lost so many people. Yeah, and and exactly right. Like Namir is a very very kind of stoic and mindset in one state character because yeah. of what he's seen and because of what they do they're not a rebel army they don't have any vehicles or any you know their their fire their air support is two x-wings right and they and um they have the thunderstrike and that's not it's just like a, a hauler really yeah it's it's a yeah it's a it's a corvette so this is not a, a rebel army this is a rebel strike force right so and you really see them get put through the grinder so yeah that, that part's really interesting I like that a lot. It kind of shows how how kind of bleak and dispassionate you get when this is what you do on a daily basis. Right. And the thing you said about Namir being, you know, stoic and in his own set in his own ways, it's interesting mm-hmm. too. Even at the end of the book, Ivari Chalice was like, You still think like a person off of Crucible, you know? Mm-hmm. You you just don't see the, the scale of the Empire because they were wondering on one of the planets, like one of their people in their company came down with like this mad like biological illness oh yeah the weapons and they thought they destroyed all of them and she's like no no no, you don't understand there is huge warehouses full of that stuff even if you destroyed one of their you know cultivating plants they have buckets of this stuff ready for use so yeah because because they destroyed the chemicals on coyote and then they're deployed against them on we we kind of went over we kind of glanced over it because it's not hugely relevant to the book, but yeah, one one of the planets that they're attacking before they go after Celeste Kuat. 
don't remember what the name of it was, but yeah, it's like a mining. It, it was. It's a planet that's full of like underground train systems and stuff right. like that. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was interesting. Where Avari or Avali, I can't remember. Um. She's basically just saying like, yeah, you're stuck in your ways. You just can't get your your mind around how big the empire is, right? Mm. Um, which we see time and time again being ridiculous. I didn't mind Avari Chalis too much. She was an interesting character. I found that her being a, a direct connection to Count Vidian from A New Dawn, the book about Kanan and Hera and our favorite character, Scully. Yeah. Mm, um, not Scully. Yeah, the best character known to existence. <laughs> it was interesting to kind of see that like he kind of molded her artistic ability and whatnot into something that is useful for the empire mm-hmm. um, even she doesn't realize she doesn't know even to today like why he chose her um he just had a had a fascination i guess with her mind favorite character i have to say is gadrin the four-armed basilisk philosopher that was just a <laughs> badass the entire way through because like any any time they're just like debating on what to do or like what's moral what's immoral he's just he's got something to say and it's so profound and you're like i love this man i don't know why i just i just really liked gadrin going through it but i i remember listening through it this time i'm like does gadrin die at the end of this i can't remember because i would love to see gadrin come back in something else and he doesn't die at the end of it which is great because you get it might see him somewhere time else with namir and and anybody else roach i think mm-hmm. is still alive brand is still alive uh, Roach is definitely one hundred percent not alive. What happened to Roach? <laughs> is she the one that died from the illness? From the no, she she just dies at the end of the Solus battle. Gadrin's like, yeah, she died, man. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's such a quick thing. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of characters that you're like, I'm surprised that character survived, and other characters like Roach that you're like, oh yeah, I forgot she died. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. The one, yeah, the one the one character that surprised me was uh, again we didn't really talk about any synopsis because minor role but twitch twitch is cool i like twitch that's yeah. who i was thinking about of being yeah, alive still. I, I, I liked twitch's character a pretty decent amount because she kind of reminded me of uh in mass effect there's a character named jack very kind of similar mentalities where it's like i know what i want fuck everyone else because she's Oops, the one that, that was, was after her team at on Celis, doesn't she yeah her whole yeah th- yeah basically she abandons namir at one point because her it's her team that they go with when they're infiltrating the city yeah and yeah namir says they're all dead and she basically like, goes, there's no way they're alive you. yeah yes she goes screw you they're my men i'm going after them and leaves them <laughs> and then namir and turns then around and gets hit by up. a grenade it's like what yeah <laughs> <laughs> good job man yeah um, so i i i always like that that kind of take no bs character headstrong approach mm-hmm. yeah Ed, what did you think, man? Now, for me, this one, I always like reading Trooper stuff. It started way back with Legend things. I just like Troopers. And to come back to seeing the Rebels do it, I had a bit of a, a split mind about it. A, because it's Rebels, and I was like, bleh. Mm. But, <clears throat> but, yeah, I have to just choke that There's word There's some out. cool Rebels, <laughs> and I got to say, these guys are pretty badass. And that was the one thing I had to really come to terms with is the, the fact that I was begrudgingly liking them and their schemes, even though they had an Imperial with them. It was like, well, most like Imperial. But, um, at that point, it, it kept me reading. But one thing I was, it was always nagging me at the back of my head. It was like, yeah, this is good. This is good. This is good. But I know a trooper book that I'd rather read. I know a trooper <laughs> book that's better. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
then not not to knock anything about this. It's just that I I went through the whole clone series not too long ago, and this just felt so similar. But I was seeing things like, oh, the clones would have done this, or man, if the rebels had the training these guys did, it would have really mm-hmm. been a fight. And so I was. It's always surprising just to see how well they can fight with just people that come from everywhere. Like you have your bestalist that can adapt to different situations. If you need somebody to knock down a door, there you are. Like I remember, it was near the beginning. Yeah. Where yeah. one of the there was an explosion, and I think I think it was it was Nadrin at the time, right, or an Amir at the time, I believe. Who he was like, where is he? Where is he? Gad, where's Gad? And he just kind of gets up and he's like, oh hey. Yeah, he's like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah, it was like, wait, is the radio not working? Like, what was wrong? He's like, no, no, no I'm, I'm fine. I think the one thing mm-hmm. you said about, like, the, the ragtag group of characters, every time they do, like, a hiring, I guess, of the Battlefront or the Twilight Company, uh, mm-hmm. when they go to planets and things, near the end, they do one final recruitment, and you just see, like, there's people that are just kids that are wanting to join and, and whatnot. I think Roach, she was underage, to the point like she was 12 or 13 or something they something like that like she was she wasn't old as old as she thought she was like they they never outright yeah they never outright state her name or sorry they never outright state her age but yeah when she's pretty young when when roach first sees her he just guesses that she might be underage and if she is she would not be the first twilight soldier that joined underage and it's interesting like everyone at the end there's a recruitment where what was it namir it was a flashback i think when Namir is being recruited by Howell and everybody and they go mm. like for a walk around the camp and he's like, yeah, like, can you tell me about these people that are, you know, trying to be part of Twilight companies? Like oh, the guy with the one arm there, like he's really slow at picking things up, but he's really strong as an engineer. So you'd be a good asset eventually. Right. And it's just, mm. there's all these people that are joining and they have so many different professions, whether they are useful for Twilight company or not. And there was a line like, I think Gadrin uh, said that really caught me. It was like, what if, what if I told you that captain, the captain said, you know, I have to bring everybody that wants to join. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Namir says, well, I think your captain needs to care about his crew a little bit more or something like that. And I was like, ah, that's a good line Namir. That was pretty cool. <laughs> but, oh yeah. Cause he's, cause he says the Gadrin, that would be a, a really easy way for spies to infiltrate the company. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Uh, sorry, Ed, go ahead. No. Uh, yeah. But I really, I was really seeing a lot of comparisons between there and, and again, begrudgingly appreciating a lot to the point where it helped me finish the book because I thought this was going to be one I wasn't going to be able to get through and enjoy where it was just like, oh, I'm doing it. It's a work thing more so. But the, the longer I listened to it, the, the more I put away those kind of comparisons, except with, uh, again, I have to bring up the fact that these guys, the way they communicate with each other compared to the way the clones did, mm. you, you, you never can. No. But to see their own kind of rebel jargon come out and the, the way they just, you know, treat each other at this point was really nice to see. Mm-hmm. But I was always, the one thing I was kind of not curious about, but was just looking at, just, uh, because the RP that we're doing my character has a very specific kind of uh, how would I phrase it, man? You, you know, backstory emperor, or em, yeah, like the backstory, the empire mm-hmm. ties, and then oh no, now what do you do? And seeing all Chalice's stuff was like, man, I didn't read this before I came up with the character. Come on, <laughs> it's so similar. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it, it was 
it's hearing that was just like, well, I know at least the story is the 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 thought process is legit. So if mm. I call you Avari Chalice yeah. in in the actual RP, let me know and I'll I'll correct myself. Maybe it's <laughs> no, maybe it's all a big thing. Maybe I am. You don't. Yeah, know. You're changing. Secretly a change. <laughs> but yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. Would I read it again? If you gave me like a couple of years, maybe. Yeah, I read this two years ago. I think that was the last time, which was enough time for me to not remember exactly what happens or remember a lot of the characters. Mm -hmm. And I I did the audiobook the first time as well. So it's not like I, Jonathan Davis was new to me for this read. It just comparison to other books we've read and have read past what we're covering on Temple Archives already. There's a lot of other books that I really enjoy compared to the audiobook for this one. The one thing I wanted to say that I didn't, I didn't put down the notes here was this game came out the same time Battlefront 1 came out. It came out, I think, Sorry, a little you mean bit later. The, you mean the book? What did I say? You said, you said the game. So the game, yeah. The game came out, <laughs> and then this book came out a little bit later. So one of the DLC oh, that came out was Hoth Twilight. And mm-hmm. it was like, imagine Hoth in a blizzard at night. Oh, man. I think uh, it's, I think if, it's a, if you've made it to Ilum yet, think that. Yeah, on uh, Star Wars The Old Republic. Yeah, um, it's kind of like that where you're flying. You can do like um, space. It's not space. Atmosphere combat in the ships, mm. and there's blizzards, and you're, it's so hard to see. Yeah. And it's basically that was the only tie-in that this book had with the game, which was kind of sad. But okay, it, it gave you a little bit like, oh, what's this book gonna have to do with Battlefront? Which was kind of similar to like how Inferno Squad, which mm. we'll cover later was a tie-in with uh, Battlefront 2. Battlefront uh, 2, yeah. yeah. Oh, that explains something, because one of the things... I, I started off with negative connotations to this book as soon as I realized what was happening, because for some reason, I confused this book with Inferno Squad. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, so, no. so I went into this being like, all right, gonna hear about some cool Imperials, and then I started to listen to it, and I was like, what is these that? are rebels. This is not what I was told I was gonna be listening to. Oh, God, I'm in for a long haul. So I started not really being on board with this, but by the end, I, I actually did enjoy this book quite a bit. Yeah, I've, I've only got a, a few things that popped into mind for me. The first is that we, we just talked about it a little while ago, but one of the... Again, one of the unfortunate, unfortunately, one of the negative negative connotations to me was Roach's death, mm-hmm. because it you just Gadrin just tells Nimir about it and it happened off screen. Yeah, that's why I didn't remember it. Yeah, so he basically goes up and is like, "Do we lose anybody?" And Gadrin's like, "Oh yeah, Roach died." And Nimir's like, "What? How did she die?" And he's like, "Oh well." And he gives this thing where it's like he gives this inspiring story about her last stand that could or couldn't be true, but it's just something. It's a pet peeve of mine when you get a character, a secondary character who has been built up so much, because you basically spend the entire novel seeing her grow into an actual soldier. Yeah, there, there's uh, a point in this book where I was like, I don't know who the main character is until <laughs> Howell dies. And I'm like, oh, it's Namir. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I thought it was Howell at first, listening to it the second time or third time. Mm. And I'm like, no, it's actually Namir. Oh, okay. Okay. It took me a minute to get get used to that because you're like, who am I following here? Roach, Howl, Namir, who? I, I can, yeah, I can see that because N- Namir doesn't come off as a standard protagonist. God no. Because, yeah, because yeah, usually standard protagonists are more empathetic and they don't know quite as much as Namir does so they can get information related to them. But yeah, with, with, with Roach, it's just, it's one of those things. I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I've been cheated slightly if a secondary character who I've spent so much time with dies off screen. 
Yeah. I don't get to see their final stand or anything like that. And I, I mean, that's a personal thing. So I'm not going to really knock the book hard for that. But yeah, it was just something that disappointed me a bit. What you could uh, say is she died in the volcano eruption thing that they activated. That would have been even worse. <laughs> could you imagine? It's like, oh, she, she didn't... she's she's in the squad where they're planting yeah. mines in the in the underground area. Okay, well, let's press this button and flood it with vol- like yeah. volcanic magma. And then, yeah, whoops, Roach went down. Yeah. No, but yeah, that was a bit disappointing to me. The one redeeming thing, which if I had not, if I had read this book before Rogue One, would have been even higher on my list. Yeah, is uh, when Namir and the squad run into Vader at Hoth. That was such a good <laughs> scene. Oh, that was it. Be, yeah, because none of them, including Chalice, none. Yeah, none of them have no idea what the Force is, and it's really interesting because I found it really interesting. Because they start firing at Vader, and he starts just reflecting the bolts with his hand like he did in Episode 5. Yeah. And immediately, Namir and the rest of the squad think he has a force field. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was like oh, yeah, they wouldn't know that that's a force power. Because then, apparently it's ancient, even though it's been 20 years. So. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, somehow nobody knew the Jedi existed, even though there were thousands of them. But um, yeah, Not everybody saw on... them, though. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, apparently the Empire did an amazing job at suppressing info but yeah exactly. then he, you know he turns on he turns on the lightsaber and they're like oh this is probably gonna be bad and then he you know starts throwing people around and bury and redirecting grenades and namir can't even process what's happening anymore he thinks it's like a nightmare which yeah. I, I think for me that's at least that's good talk. that's a good gen- uh, not generalization but comparison it's like yeah mm-hmm. this is nightmarical and this he's like sitting there and he's just lacking out and he's like thank god i'm blacking out because i don't want to be here right now yeah, yeah, and it, it it really helped drive home for me why people are so scared of Vader. Cause because you have rumors like, yeah, you have rumors like that going around. And the guy who's spreading the rumors knows they're actually true, but no one wants to believe it. Exactly. But then, yeah, but then you just keep hearing it and eventually, you know, you build that legend. The other point uh, with Vader there is Ivari Chalice, mm-hmm. where she, throughout the rest of the book after that encounter, she has like a throat issue where she's coughing mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, and it, it's so prevalent that it's basically her new. It's her, it's yeah, it's yeah. how it's how you know that's Avari Chalice. Mm-hmm. She's just always trying to suppress coughs, and she's had you know bruises around her throat from the force choke, and it's mm-hmm. like jeez, which makes brutal. it seem just so much more brutal than what yeah. we know because every time we yeah. see it, the person gets their neck snapped. Yeah, the they don't have did to not. live with the after. Yeah. Well, to be fair, there is one other character we've seen that happen to. Who's that? General Grievous. Okay. <laughs> well, it, as, assuming that the old Star Wars, the old Star Wars 2D Clone Wars show is is legit. Yeah. But that was also played off as a joke. Yeah. But I mean, that was the thing. Mace Windu crushed his lungs. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about in, that in the old comic. Yeah. And other than that, there's one thing that uh, we cut out. For summary because overall unfortunately it doesn't really add that much to the story but i figured i'd bring it up which is there's another character uh, you see the perspective of and that's a female stormtrooper named thara niende i think niende or something like yeah, that and, and that that's inter- that did show an interesting perspective because she's basically a stormtrooper who buys into what the empire is selling she absolutely believes that they are there to protect the people and bring law and order and basically say but yeah, pretty much. Uh, except I actually like her more than Sienna because, <laughs> well, because Thana actually, or sorry, Thara actually goes out of her way to help the people of Solace. There's a whole thing where, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she basically comes to her uncle's bar and gives out supplies that she bought with her stormtrooper. She's pay. generally a good person uh, and can realize I'm doing good here. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you get people like Sayana who say, you know, I think the Empire is doing good and then they just march along with their orders. But with Thara, it's different because she is doing what she thinks is right and going a step beyond to actually help the people. Right. It's not blind loyalty. She's doing stuff in her own volition as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I thought her character was really neat. But like I said, unfortunately, plot wise, she doesn't really contribute that much. She's more just differing view to I think, see the Empire in a, in a different light. I think seeing her in her own novel would be interesting. Like, yeah. That's why true, else? Why else introduce her? That doesn't make any sense. I guess just to show that uh, what what the rebels' activity looks like to someone oh, okay. who is trying to do good and believes the empire is good, because that's the whole thing, right? She actually thinks the rebels are terrorists. Yeah. Which also makes sense. She is part of a vehicle bombing base. She take. Yeah. You know, she she, uh... she she's a target in a vehicle bombing basically, and she loses her hearing, and it it really messes with her and kind of shakes. She's in the hospital for a while. Yeah. So I I thought that was really cool, and, and makes it more gray as you get to see this where it's like. Yes, from the rebels' point of view, they were entirely justified because they were just going to kill them all. Yeah. But from Thara's perspective, she was just doing her job, and someone tried to murder her exactly. and her whole squad. Quick question for both of you guys, possibly mm. quick. What did you think of Alexander Freed's writing? Like his style. I want another book from to read from him so I can compare the two. Alphabet Squadron. Uh... Still, still military. <laughs> If he's gonna keep re reading that, writing that, I should say. I mean, yes, having a wing squad will be different in terms of just what they have to deal with and how they do and what kind of people they are. They're always tend, they're always known to be more reckless because, like, what what they say, they have the shortest lifespans or whatever. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I'm just like, you know what? I want to see. Just I want to see something other than military. Let me see what he can really do. For now, I enjoyed this one, mm -hmm. Alphabet Squadron. I gotta say, I gotta find a nickname for that book because I'm gonna get mad. A squad. I say Let's it. call it a squad, the A team, a squad or Orbes Squadron. I just might start training myself to refer to it always as Orbes Squadron. It's a good name, man. It it is. I can see why they're not running with it, but at the same time, like I, I wish they did. Yeah. But yeah, as for me, I, I enjoyed his writing. It he he writes very punchy, very fast paced combat, which I really enjoy, and he does a fairly good job at writing in a way that I can visualize very well what's yes. happening. and understand yeah. what the characters are thinking at all times. Yes. He, and, and you get internal monologue all the time, mm -hmm. and it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and it, he really paints a, a combat picture well. He's probably, and this is no offense to him at all, uh, um, he's probably... There was no... Okay, uh, so he's, he's probably, and, and no, yeah, no offense to him at all, but in my opinion, he is the second best writer I know at writing combat and... You know those fast-paced action that's scenes. That's a really. A, that's a pretty in, good. In Star Wars or in general? Oh, just in general across wow, all. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Who's well, your number the, one? Out of curiosity. Uh, my number one is very niche, but there's a writer called Dan Abnett. He writes 40k Warhammer 40k books. Okay. And the way that he writes combat dialogue is it just blows my mind because I can picture like blow by blow mm -hmm. what's happening in in a battle while he's describing it. Okay. Yeah, it's just absolutely phenomenal. I love it. Because I was going to say... Second best combat writer is really good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to compare in combat writing to... Uh, my number one would be Timothy Zahn. In terms okay. of... Okay, yeah. Like grand scale? Yeah, it, yeah. Just like if we're going battles, for example, just, you know, listening to Treason right now. And, and just some it. of that series. Spoilers. 
<laughs> I, I don't know, I'm not going to spoil anything. Okay. Just in general, like, how he described, you know, because mostly we see naval combat. Oh my god, there's or naval like, combat in the new book. <laughs> there was naval combat in the last one. Yeah, there's I'm naval combat. Anytime yeah. Thrawn's in it, there's naval combat. Admiral. But yes, going... <laughs> just the way he describes it, it's like, oh, they make sure that if they're talking navigational lines, it'd be like, you know, 353 by 28 or something. They just stick close to that. It's just like, oh, port side kind of mm -hmm. thing. They want to be as specific as possible to the with enough that it's not, you know, slowing anything down. Right. Mm -hmm. So you still feel all that excitement and all that tension as the tension is the biggest thing I think I get from him. For, for me, I, I don't, fair. I haven't read a lot of books. I'm not well cultured in the novel literary sense, but I would say that Alexander Freed for me is probably number one for for combat especially in star wars so far because it is it's like you said it's just so easy to picture something and with jonathan davis narrating it and the team that put the audiobook together it paints a picture and it is so clear yeah i would love to know the difference of us if we if we read it or listen to it and see if mm -hmm. someone read, read it yeah if it would be similar yeah um, and yeah, because because Ed brings up a good point. Timothy Zahn's definitely up there as well. It's like been it's... yeah, it's been so long since I read the alliances. Yeah, or no, uh, the the oh. original trilogy, oh, okay. uh, the original Thrawn trilogy, and Thrawn the first book, at least for how far I got into it, didn't have that much combat in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I am There's very rusty with this. Yeah, so I, I definitely have to read through his stuff again, and then I can and update that list because uh, right now I don't really remember Zahn's style that well. Okay, but, uh, yeah, but... one example I want to throw to you, mm. and this is audiobook especially. Think back to Alliances. Mm. There was a part where Vader used a um, a suit double in one of the attacks, mm. and the troopers. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Stop! 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 Have you read wait. Alliances? Thrawn Alliance. Oh no, I I haven't, but I don't mind this. Okay, because this is we this did we covered Alliances, didn't we? We have not covered Alliances or Thrawn yet. Yeah. It's okay though. Don't don't worry about it. No, 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 no. Because I want to I want to talk about it at that point then. Oh, okay, okay. okay. So, yeah, we yeah, haven't covered I'll, any I'll, Thrawn I'll, yet. That's coming up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No worries. I'll just cut that. Um. Out. Oh no, you can even keep it in because I was gonna say like uh, yeah and like uh, I'm just saying like a lot. Sorry, but yeah, with with Zon stuff, I definitely want to hear that stuff again so I can get a good feel for it. But yeah, one of my favorite parts of Dan Abnett's work is there's one part where he does a, a novel with one of the factions, Imperial Guard, and he's basically describing uh, the situation that they're in where they're in a force-fielded... Uh, they're in a force-field protected city, but they're hit with sabotage, so the shield comes down, and the enemy has just been pounding overwhelming artillery at the shield the entire time. So the moment the shield drops, all the artillery comes through. Oh, God. And he, oh, no. he, and he goes to a couple different areas where he talks about what happens to the civilians that are... are in the civilian sector when it hits and a tank column that gets hit and like the command centers and stuff and it's just it's nuts yeah absolute devastation like there's a wow. part where the the tank company doesn't see it coming they don't realize what's happening they hear the snap of the shield and then the company commander all he sees is light and the next thing he knows he's upside down and he's like what ha i can't hear anything what happened and so he tries to yell orders and he realizes he went deaf from the blast and he tries to get out from the tank, and he realizes he's pinned in place from one of the I-beams of the tank. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so it ends with him just, like, basically just screaming in helpless fury as his tank gets obliterated by the artillery barrage. That's nuts. Yeah, it's... it's, and it's, it's It evokes a lot so of emotion. Exactly. It's Warhammer. It's super grim dark, so they don't pull any punches, and I yeah, love that stuff. That's pretty awesome. So, yeah. That'd be oh, interesting yeah, so if we had a book say... that dark for Star Wars. I would love to see that. 
Oh, yeah. If we ever get close to one, I think Death Troopers, if we ever went back to that, would be, like, the closest. Okay. That was an old Legends book. But, yeah, and then uh, last final point, just because I think it's kind of funny. My favorite character in the book is going to make me clash with Dan because my favorite character in the book was actually Chalice. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. I I always like those kind of manipulator schemer, the really clever people who really know what they're doing. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why my favorite characters in Game of Thrones were like Varys and Jamie and uh, Littlefinger. I hated Littlefinger just because he was such a such a character, man. It, I, I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to go into it too much, but like he he was just such a scuzzbag. I don't know. And I, I hate. I him. love Littlefinger because him and Varys are opposites. Like Varys, Varys is doing. Is good. Yeah, Varys is doing so many things for what he thinks are the right reasons, and Littlefinger's doing everything he's doing because he wants something for himself exactly. as opposed to Varys. But I, I know I love those scheming characters, even if they're just total terrible people. I have to say I love to hate Littlefinger. Like that's that's the <laughs> thing when I when there's a character I really don't like, it's good. It's as good as mm-hmm. if I had a character that I really did like. And it's it's weird for me if a char- if an actor or a writer can evoke me not liking a character a lot. That mm-hmm. means then they've done a good job at portraying this character. Oh yeah. If it's a character that I, I don't care for then it's a character that was well it just might as well not be in the book because or the the show because it just the character was not portrayed well yeah so that's why i say with Littlefinger is i didn't like his character but that doesn't mean i didn't like the portrayal of the actual like yeah. the actual character you know yeah i love to hate him it's, is the easiest way to it's say the it. same thing oh, yeah, yeah for uh, prince joffrey exactly yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say and for but, you guys Jar Jar Binks. Break, i think from uh from acting because of all of it and yeah because of Exactly, because unfortunately some people can't people divorce can't the character from the actor. Yeah. yeah. And and like for you guys, the character that you guys love to hate is Jar Jar Binks, right? So um, <laughs> moving on I to... I mean, that's just... That's different. <laughs> I know, mm-hmm. I know. Moving on to the next point here. Um... To, to your point as well. No, sorry, I just want to touch on it yeah. quickly. Because to your point as well, yes, I loathe Jar Jar with every fiber of my being. <laughs> I I didn't even know the name Ahmed best yeah. until Cause we were uh, kids. this year at Comic-Con. Yeah, we were yeah, kids. Yeah, and so... And it's that even if I had known it, I, it wasn't his fault. I already Comic-Con. knew it wasn't his fault. Celebration. Sorry, sorry, sorry celebration. Ah. That was wrong with me. I wish. But uh, yeah, and it's exactly. But it's exactly that, right? Like even if I'd known as a teenager his name, I wouldn't have blamed him. No, yeah. Because no one, no one acts like that on their own initiative, and the director go just goes, "Oh yeah, that's fine. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's, not, that's never happens. Yeah, yeah, that's director oversight if the entire character's like that. Exactly." Uh, moving on to the next point here, they did mention the VCX 150, and I asked you guys beforehand if you knew like the VCX models and like what they were, and you guys, ah, I recognize it, but I don't know. And the VCX 100 is mentioned in Solo, and it's the Ghost, the go, uh, the ship, the model for the uh, Ghost, which is the ship in Rebels, uh, the main one that Rebels. they use. So this is it seems to be like a little updated or a variant of the VCX 100, which is interesting. I would love to see which- a rendition of it. And you know what? What I find interesting is that it's we know that if we want to go on the topic of uh, Rogue One as well, we know that the ghost is around at this point. And if they can see just from Hera's team how useful a ship like that could be, and they're constantly like using more of them in their squadrons, right? So by the time this book is out, it's just like, yeah, no, the Rebels have been liberally using this this starship because of everything that it can do yeah mm-hmm. you, like you know what i mean yeah on yeah. the on the wiki for this uh vcx 150 it says 
The VCX-150 freighter was a freighter model manufactured by the Karelian Engineering Corporation. A most notable example of this model was the Keepsake, and it was used by the Celestin Resistance until it was stormed by stormtroopers and the Chadrafan occupying it was apprehended. And that's in Chadrafan. Battlefront Twilight Company, the only mention of it, sadly. They like to do this where they drop the, the names of the ships, like the model numbers. And I don't know about you, Nomo or Ed, but like... I, I started becoming a nerd of the different models ships. of ships and mm. since I started playing X-Wing mm. and I really want to know what it looks like because I just want to see like an updated ghost, like a newer yeah. version of the ghost and see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually surprised when I didn't remember it because I was like, oh man, I really thought I would remember VCX sounds so familiar. And then when you said it, I was like, oh yeah. Do you guys remember in Solo when VCX 100 is dropped? Yeah, it's when he, when he's uh, solos gambling against Lando at first, and he yeah. drops that as being the ship yeah. he owns. Exactly. And Ooh, to nice. see Lando's reaction to it, especially, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's like he's a, got it's something a, it's worth getting, man. Mm-hmm. Now, take me to the the first thing is like, let me, you know, take me to my new ship. The first is like, I need to see this thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, any last points? Did we talk about Prelate Verge at all? I had him in there mm-hmm. just as a just as a joke for his name. In the Imperial naming conventions, yet again, nobody escapes it. Every author does it. They're the Saturday morning cartoon bad guy names. Mm. But with Prelate Verge, it was it was awesome because it was like, oh, he ran an ambush. Ha <laughs> ha. He was there pretty early instead. Scared. <laughs> You're dead. Oh God. That, yeah. No. That 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 took that took me a couple seconds. <laughs> So the one thing that interested me about Prelate Verge is that his title was given to him by the Emperor, I believe, mm. and it's a title that only he holds. Okay. Um, I think I missed that. Oh, it says, Prelate was the title held by the select members of the Imperial Ruling Council. A male human uh, held this title during the Galactic Civil War, and it was only him, Prelate Verge, which is very interesting because he was... thing I didn't like about him, which I thought was kind of creepy. Yeah, he's a huge fanatic. Which, you know what? That leads me to think then that he might have been some kind of minor Sith acolyte or something. Because you know mm. Emperor always have backups, like F through 900, yeah, if need be. So even a simple fanatic like this, when you need, like, win by attrition, spread the word. They even said, like, everything. He was trying to mirror Vader and the Emperor on ships he was in command of. Yeah, I'm definitely it's glad he like, got well, murdered by Tabor, so... <laughs> Mm. I I thought actually I thought his character was interesting and I enjoyed it just because it seemed to me he was the if you boiled down every stereotype of what a loyal imperial should be you would end up with Prelate Verge. He oh, was for just sure. he was, so hardline. He's at the he's at the like point where he just he bought into the empire yeah. and he bought into everything. It's like a Sienna Re with no conscience. Yeah. He, you know what he I mean? Actually, That's a good way of saying it, yeah. Yeah, he actually, and I just kind of realized this now. He reminds me of of Hux. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, okay. that that yeah. kind of like because the first order is all you know the Empire turned up to eleven. Yeah, so it's just yeah. that kind of like sneering. All right, I'm I'm going to be just the evilest evil man that ever eviled. Yeah, without yeah. having actually having any powers. I'm so yeah. excited for you guys to meet Hux in one of the books that we're going to be reading soon. Uh, it is no see Hux differently. It's a it's a prequel to Hux. So you kind of understand him a little bit more, but yeah, it's interesting to see. But that's a good connection, Hux and Prelate Verge. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're very similar. Um, any last points for Battlefront Twilight Company? I'm good. Not? All right. Yeah. Overall, 
Yeah. Um, let's say our ratings, I guess, for this one, because we didn't do that yet. Battlefront Twilight Company. So Twilight Company, out of 10, 6.5 for me. Just okay. in the terms of I can't read this again anytime soon. I did enjoy it. I got what it was worth. It's Battlefront, so that kind of takes a ding to it. Freed, I will read something else of yours in the meantime, I promise. <laughs> but yeah, this one, not it's not one I would go for again anytime soon. Fair enough. Uh, my rating is seven, actually, a little bit higher than yours. Same idea, like it's not rereadable right away. Uh, like I said, it took me about a year, two years for me to reread this, and it took me a while to get through the audiobook. It just wasn't pulled into it as much. I think it's a really slow start for this book, but it's it's an interesting book once you get into it and you get to meet the characters of Twilight Company. I didn't realize throughout the book that it was like there was hundreds of people in Twilight Company, but there, there there's quite a few that you don't never meet. So they're just unnamed characters right like they're just mm. people part of the crew but it's interesting book a lot of good characters a lot of bad characters that i didn't like such as verge i just i didn't like him he was an interesting character but not for mm. me interesting writing style and it was the first rogue one kind of take on star wars before rogue one actually existed so that was why i really I, i'd say seven is pretty good for this one yeah, makes sense. My rating for this is actually the exact same thing. Seven nice. as well for me. Yeah, and it, it's for the same reasons you guys said. You know, it had a very slow beginning. It took It took a couple of planets for it to really kind of build up and for me to care about the characters. But once it got going and once it started explaining everything and I really saw a bunch of the characters start to come into their own, I, I was really on board. And yeah, especially near the end when they're preparing for the siege and everything, the action just gets so good okay. or so snappy that, yeah. I find it interesting that we all really liked this book. Like, we're on the same kind of scale. Wavelength. Yeah. 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 There's no... Yeah, there's no one person who's very against. But, uh, yeah, like, I I think I could definitely read this book again, but I would start from the halfway point. Yeah. Where it starts to get good. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The pickup right away. Exactly. Because I I do that for some of the other books that I have, like some of my Warhammer, where I I already know the setup, so I can skip the first third of the the novel. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Okay. Awesome. Uh, let's uh, round out this episode and get into our other episode for Vader Down. Mm, sounds good. So, if you are listening to this, welcome to the outro for next episode's literature. Well, next episode immediately, we will be covering Vader Down, which is a comic that all three of us love. So it's going to be a very fun review. But after that, for our next book episode of Temple Archives, we will be covering Servants of the Empire, Edge of the Galaxy, and Rebel in the Ranks. So there's two different books for this one. Uh, they're both very short stories. They're a little more kid-centric. So, you know, if you've been avoiding the young readers stuff for Star Wars, this will be a nice way for us to at least tell you if there's anything interesting canon-wise in there. And for our, our next comic episode, we'll be going over something similar, which is Kanan Volume 1, The Last Padawan. Uh, I've seen some snippets of this comic. And I'm very excited for it because I do like Kanan a lot as a character. It'll be cool to re- uh, revisit him after we've watched all three Rebels, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just give that whole kind of life story from beginning to end. Exactly. 
Yeah, because I yeah, like I said, I've seen a couple things. So I've I've seen a little bit of what happens, but I'm I'm interested in seeing everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it'll be a so rebel centric episode. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Two episodes, back to back. Well, back to back bi weekly. Yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of bi weekly, like we said in the beginning of the episode, this is a new format that we're trying out for our new episodes. We're trying condensed, shorter synopses and separate episodes for. Uh, more novel and comic volumes just so we can get stuff out a little bit faster for you and i know that some people don't enjoy overly long podcasts so we'll try and get this to you in more bite-sized pieces if you like these changes if you don't like these changes if you just want to say hi or just want to yell just random words into the ether uh you can always do that to us so you can email us at voice of the force at gmail.com you can totally uh, make sure yell, to have thrawn instead yep. of Con. thrawn Thrawn, Khan, Re, anything. Uh, just, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Skelly! Hey, and any any uh, media is still JoJo's. <laughs> always. It's always. Yes. It was me, but Dio. But if you want to send us an <laughs> Anyways, I'm getting off topic. But uh, So yeah, if you want to email us, that is voiceoftheforce at gmail.com with the subject line of Temple Archives 8. You can also uh, get a hold of us through our Twitter, which is at VoiceForcePod. And remember, retweeting our new episode tweets uh, is always appreciated. It helps with growing our listener base and our community, and is much appreciated. If you want to do so or just talk to us, use hashtag TA8. We've also got a Facebook page, facebook.com slash voiceforcepod. And you can also listen, rate, review, and subscribe to any of the myriad of podcasts that we are on, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, PocketCast, and Podbean. And uh, if you do review, we definitely appreciate it because it does help with visibility. You can subscribe for free for the latest episodes as soon as it releases. And yeah. That list of of podcatchers gets any longer you have to take a breath between some of them one one of these days i want to just read all of them as fast as i can and see what it sounds like we should try <laughs> that every episode and see how fast we can get yeah just for the end because i mean they hear it in the beginning too right maybe in the beginning yeah. one of the two It'll hey be fun. if you have an idea of whether it'd be more fun to listen to me uh, <laughs> trip over my tongue multiple times at the beginning or end of an episode let us know at one of those places well, you know, I, I could just keep in all the things that I normally edit out for you, just like screwing up while we're, please, while we're reading. Please, no. <laughs> and then everyone I, can listen to it. I have to have dignity somehow. <laughs> what do you want Noma to do? Tell him, and we'll make him do it in the next episode. Yes, and we'll see how easily I cave to pressure. Hint, you know what? It's we probably going to be pretty easy. We should totally do like a Twitter thing where it's like, just tweet us something that you want Noma to read on the podcast, no matter what it is. Yeah, I can do that Clone Wars voice that I did for the Dark Disciple. I can do my own oh voice. My God. This is great. <laughs> we should do hey, this I, for we should do this for some sort of like feedback actually, a hey, campaign or something. If, we've got a, a new idea for Patreon rewards now. <laughs> hey, there you go. So if you guys are interested in making Noma say things or making Ed say even more silly things, for me, uh, no, 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 no need. Um. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to hear Dan say very embarrassing things, remember to tweet us at exactly. Voice Pod. With all that said, guys, I think that runs us off for this episode of Twilight Company. This is episode so. eight of Temple Archives and eight B. And we will get back to you on eight C in a few weeks. Yep. So from all of us here at Voice of the Force podcast, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. <laughs>